if everybody can come in and take a seat. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to the 2018 CEC Convocation. I just want to go over a few announcements while we're here. Um, first of all, thank you. Uh, we're so excited for everyone to be here. Thank you for traveling to be with us. Um, we are just expecting just a, a mighty move of God here. So thank you for coming and being a part of that. Tonight, there is the 20-something meetup and get-together, and that is for ages 21 and 35. It's going to be at the Hofbra House down on Paradise Boulevard. It's, it's only about a 10-minute drive. It's not far. You can catch an Uber there. So um, that'll be tonight starting at 8 p.m. Tonight also at 7 is the Ice Cream Social. That's for anyone who wants to attend, um, and it'll be held in this room tonight at 7 p.m. On Thursday, Thursday morning, um, we are going to have uh, a liturgy for the preborn and a pro-life witness at the Desert Inn uh, Women's Clinic, and it's at 1900 East Desert Inn. You can see Sarah um, at the back at the, the uh, CEC for Life booth after this, get the directions and everything else. But that'll be Thursday morning at 7 a.m., and Bishop Kessler is going to lead the liturgy. Um, we still need a couple of volunteers on Thursday morning for the morning shift for childcare. So if anyone can do that, uh, it's just for like an hour, an hour and a half. Please see Courtney outside in front of the childcare booth, and um, and she'll get you signed up. So if we can help out with that, that would be great. And I think that's all for announcements. I'm going to turn it over to Bishop Kessler. Well, our canon laws say that from time to time the patriarch or the primate, uh, we happen to have the same man wearing two hats, uh, will call his church together. And there's an expectation, just as we see old, even Old Testament uh, scripture, that when that occurs, the Holy Spirit will come down in our midst and move in a mighty way. So that's what we're doing here. Uh, he called for it, and uh, praise be to God allowed uh, me to uh, host it in our jurisdiction, and we're just so thankful for every one of you that's come here. And uh, Chris Moran is director of our church here at St. Paul's. It's a, uh, we're probably going to make a movie about it. It's a, it's, it's a miracle church. It's made a huge transformation. Uh, it's been in existence for years and years and years and years, but uh, the Holy Spirit just fell on him with a new, fresh anointing uh, just a few years ago. And uh, Chris was uh, a major player in that. And uh, we're, we're really, really proud of uh, St. Paul's here in Henderson, Nevada. Now, 
remember that we are trying to emphasize just fellowship and particularly families and the, the kids. So we want to uh, meet, however, as a church, and so we do have these uh, sessions, and uh, we encourage you to come, but we encourage you to get out to with your families and do some really uh, fun things. So, Chris, thank you for everything you've done, and uh, we're going to ask the, the patriarch to come up. I'll come over here. And uh, as should be, he set the agenda, so he's going to explain what we're doing here in these sessions. Thanks. Praise God. Thank you for coming, and thanks for being here. Welcome to uh, Sonny Henderson. And uh, the, the, uh, somebody said to me that the, uh, uh, the difference between Northeast hot and, and Vegas hot is the Northeast hot is like trying to walk through a swimming pool where you, could, you just you like breathe water. And Vegas is like sticking your head in a toaster oven. You know, <laughs> the difference, but... We're all going to join, and again, as Bishop, I want to thank Bishop Kessler and the people uh, of the Diocese of West and St. Paul's. As you can see, this is a lot of work to pull something like this together, just, just visibly, and we're just going to thank you over and over again for it, so get used to it. Uh, I, was, um, I go to Israel uh, every, about every other year. I take a group over to, to the Holy Lands on a pilgrimage. And one year when I was going over there, I, I said, you know, Lord, every time we come here to the Holy Lands, we meet with you. We, something happens. It, it's guaranteed. And every person on the trip has this encounter with you when we're in the Holy Lands. Why is that? Why is that different? He says, because you expect me to meet you. And so I'm coming this week expecting to meet with God. That's because I think God wants to meet with us. And uh, the, the, the speakers that we have are, are men of God. We're going to celebrate the Eucharist. We're going to have time of prophetic ministry after the Eucharist. If you're here, we'll have prayer teams. Um, and we're going to meet each other, especially in fellowship one with another. I, I think, you know, when two or three are gathered together, and the way I hear God the most is through my brothers and sisters. And so we're going to, we want to encourage you to do that. The first, uh, first person we have presenting uh, this morning is uh, a priest in the uh, Diocese of the Northeast uh, up in Rochester, where they have summer two or three days uh, out of the year. Uh, if you like snow, Rochester is a great place to go and visit. It's actually a very, very beautiful, beautiful city. And we have a church there that's exciting. And um, another church that's, that's growing and with an outreach to their community, lots of children. Um, uh, they just finished a vacation Bible school that was just, just over 100 kids. I think Eric can tell you the exact number from the neighborhood that came and they ministered to. And Eric is a, a family man, loves his wife, his beautiful children, and he loves his church family. And so I've asked him to come and just uh, speak to us about that raising up an ar army one family at a time. So Father Eric Ockman is over there.
Come on up. get my check I'm going to get my notes and my water it's all prepared to be over here well good morning it, it really is good to, to be here this morning in Henderson with my CEC North American family. I, um, it's an honor to be one of the speakers. I just uh, thank you, Patriarch, for, for asking me to, to be one of the speakers this week for this opportunity. It's really great. I arrived yesterday, and um, it's an exciting town. There's lots to do. There's, there's casinos and um, Vegas is an exciting place, my first time, and so I went to one of the, the casinos, big casinos downtown, and um, within a few hours, as exciting as it was, I'd gambled away my car, and um, the problem is, Hertz isn't too excited, uh, really, about that, so I've got to figure that one out, I'm, hopefully I can uh, just work through that a little bit this week, and I got up early this morning and went downstairs, and you know, like many of you, had some coffee, had some breakfast, and read the newspaper, and, and again, I'm sitting there, I'm kind of taking all the sights in, and this young woman, she comes over, and she's, she's, uh, she comes to one of these machines. Um, she puts a couple coins into the machine, and, and a candy bar comes out. She's just, she takes the candy bar out, she puts it in her pocket, and, and then she grabs a, another couple coins from, from her pocket, and she puts it into the slot, and she turns the knob, and another candy bar comes out. She stuffs that in her pocket, and, and the third time, she takes out a couple more coins, puts it in the slot, turns the knob, a candy bar comes out. At this point, a, one of the hotel employees is watching, and he comes over, and he says, ma'am, you know, what are you, what are you doing? And she says, duh, I'm winning here, <laughs> right? That's the kind of gambling I'm going to do when I get a candy bar. I didn't, I didn't really lose my car. I, I, those are just some jokes. Um, and I'm not really going to get some, to do too much, none, no gambling, just candy bars. But anyway, uh, I thought I'd start just with a few attempts at, at some humor, um, because I got in this morning uh, at uh, 2.30, so my flight that came from Rochester was, uh, del- it didn't get delayed, it got rerouted because of your thunderstorms last night, and we went to Phoenix, Arizona, and so I'm we, we land in Phoenix, Arizona, and the pilot is saying, I, I just, I don't know if we're going to make it back up to Vegas, and right now it's like 1 o'clock in the morning, and so I'm on my phone, I'm trying to figure out, can I rent a car, how long is it going to take me to get up there, I'm the first speaker, so I, I got to get up here, it doesn't matter if I get sleep, I just got to do it. Um, fortunately, the plane refueled, the thunderstorms blew by, and I was able to get a couple hours of sleep last night. Uh, so, a little bit more about me. Uh, probably the most exciting thing, for me anyway, is that in a little less than a month, I'll be celebrating 19 years of marriage. <laughs> to an amazing woman. Uh, Sarah is her name. And she, uh, she's just full of beauty inside, and she's amazing and, and, and wise and a really great partner for me in, uh, in ministry. Um, I have, we have four children together, our, our children, two daughters, Grace, who is 14, um, Eliana, who is 12, 
two sons, Jacob, who's 10, and Gabriel, who is uh, 8. Before becoming rector at Trinity Communion Church, I was a, a school psychologist for, for 14 years, um, which was a great experience and honestly is a great pairing for what I do as a pastor of a local uh, congregation as well. I served as a youth pastor for eight years in our church before I became the rector. Youth pastors in the house? Is that it? Usually there, there may be a few, but they should be louder than that. Um, good times as a youth pastor. I was ordained in 2008 into the diaconate. Uh, in 2010, I became a priest uh, in our diocese, and, and then for the past five years, I have been the rector uh, of our parish, and it's been exciting, it's been hard, um, but it's been fun. We're seeing God do really amazing, amazing things. Our congregation is growing. Um, we're making new disciples uh, of Jesus Christ, and we are deepening the disciples uh, who already know him. Um, as, as Patriarch just said, we just got done doing a vacation Bible school. I'd like to get a shout out for VBS. And it was, it was exciting. 116 kids, uh, kindergarten through uh, sixth grade, were, were able to hear the gospel. And that just, if that doesn't charge you up, um, check your pulse, because it, it's, it's an exciting thing. And as one of my fellow, fellow priests, Ken Tanner, uh, he said, you know, children really are uh, a modern-day mission field uh, in America. And, and I believe that. Our children really are uh, a modern-day mission field. And we have, to, we have to pay attention to our kids um, because we need to understand, and this isn't my statement, but this is a true statement, that they're, they're not just the next generation of the church. They already are the church. Amen? I mean, they're amongst us, and Jesus called them to himself, and they're very important. Uh, so pay attention to them. Uh, and if we're going to rise up, which is the call of this convocation, if we're going to rise up, if we're going to answer that call, if we're going to build an army of God, one family at a time, then we must pay attention to our children. We must pay attention to our children. So I come to you today with a, a really strong conviction. Um, I believe that God is moving. His presence is being made known in word and in sacrament uh, across this country, around this globe. Uh, God is answering prayers, and the kingdom of heaven is, is coming to earth. The gates of hell are buckling in real time, and God is moving. And he's seeking a people. He's seeking a people who are going to rise up, a people who are going to chase after justice who are going to love mercy, who are going to walk in, in a deepening sense of humility as they move forward. And the world needs a church not divided. The world needs a church that's united. And, and I want to assure every man, every woman, every child who is here in Henderson that you are here for a reason. You're here for a reason. You're here for a purpose. There aren't any accidents. We're gathering in this moment, wedged between eternity past eternity future and the convocation is a moment in history that is pregnant with possibility amen do you believe this amen so i believe amongst many other things that there are going to be prophetic messages this week i believe that we're going to be challenged to to our core by the words that are given i believe that there will be healing i anticipate that there will be life-giving rest and, and a building of relationships amongst us as a family and I believe that as we gather around the table of our Lord, that the Holy Eucharist is going to literally transform us. It will transform us. There will be blessing here this week. And so this morning what I want to do is I want to share something that God has put on my heart. 
for us. And, and he, he gave me this word before I knew I was going to be the first uh, breakout speaker this week. And so I, I think that's really cool because it's really, a, it's really a foundational message. And the topic is something that if we don't get right, we're going to be disabled, we're going to be disoriented, we're going to be confused, and we're going to be crippled in our lives. The message that I bring to you today is about your identity within the family of God. Identity within the family of God. And this is very important because if you are to rise up, then we have to know, we need to know who is it that we really are. We're not going to rise up unless we know who we are. So there's this old Native American um, story, legend, that you probably have heard. It's, it's been around for a long time. And it's, it's about this young um, Native American boy who found this, uh, this eagle's egg. And he put the eagle's egg into the nest of a turkey. Now, the eagle eventually grew up and hatched into a brood of turkeys. And all of his life, this, this eagle, because he was in this nest with turkeys, he grew up thinking that he was a turkey. And he did all kinds of things that turkeys do. He scratched in the dirt for seeds and for insects. He clucked and he gobbled. He never flew more than a, a few feet off the ground. Why? Because turkeys don't fly very far. And time went by, and this changeling eagle grew older. And one day, he was out in the field, and he saw this magnificent bird far above him in the cloudless sky. And he's soaring with, with graceful majesty in the, on the wind currents. And he said, what a beautiful bird. And it asked the turkey next to him, he said, what is it? What is it? It's an eagle. It's the chief of all birds, the turkey gobbled. But don't give it a second thought because you're not like him. And so the changeling eagle never gave it another thought and he died thinking that he was a turkey. And that story might be a legend, might be made up, but there are actual instances of human beings who have lived a portion of their lives thinking that there's something that they're not. In fact, there are over 50 documented cases of feral children. Children who've been lost in the wild, but then they've been reared and they've been raised, they've been nurtured, they've been protected by, by animals. For example, in 1987, a boy was found living in a group of monkeys in Uganda. And he was taken to the orphanage. He grunted, he squealed, he jumped around on, on his hands, he ate grass, he was fearful of people. Why? Because he thought that he was a monkey. And... Another instance, a young boy was found in India being raised by a pack of wolves. And so they brought him into, into an orphanage, and, and he, in this case, he, he wouldn't wear clothes. He ran around on all fours. He, he ate only raw meat, and, and he gnawed on bones. Why? Because he thought he was a, a wolf. And scientists, they have a name for this. They call it imprinting. And imprinting really is about taking on a false identity. In other words, when somebody doesn't know who they really are. When someone doesn't know who they really are. And in my experience, church, as a pastor, I've noticed that Christians are wrestling with identity issues in a major way. We, we are allowing ourselves, in some instances, to be so imprinted by the world that our behavior, our life choices, our language is indistinguishable from 
the rest of the world and from others. In other instances, in the church, we find it difficult to to accept or believe the reality of the gospel working itself out in us. We struggle to accept that we're forgiven. We struggle to believe that we're loved. We can't imagine that we're worthy because if God only knew, if someone only knew. And so we hold on to this false reality. We hold on to these false identities about who we are in God's eyes and even, and even worse about who God is. And if we allow the imprinting of the world to shape our lives or we fail to grasp the fullness of the reconciliation of God's saving grace and his mercy, then we will lose track of our destiny and our purpose in the larger story of Almighty God. And I do believe this is a challenge and a problem and a crisis in the church today because many followers of the way of Jesus Christ do not know at the deepest level who they really are. We're like turkeys when God made us to be eagles. And the Bible has something to say about this. As it turns out, Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus offers some valuable teaching to us on on Christian identity. And whether you live into it or not, the truth is As a Christian, you are far more than someone who has been imprinted. You are not an eagle who thinks she is a turkey. You're not a boy who thinks he's a monkey or a wolf. And it's a very uninspired and meaningless life that results if we approach the the Christian faith, as some do, as this imprinting experiment where we just toy around with with good morals and behaviors or rules or or rituals or, or beliefs. You see, here is the promise that we actually hold. Christians, you and I are entirely new creatures and we have a kingdom identity through Jesus Christ. Everything changes. Everything. And the theme for this convocation is rise up, building an army of God, one family at a time. And again, I propose to you at the onset of this convocation, at the onset of our time together, that we can neither rise up or build anything at all until we know who we are. We can't rise up or build anything until we know who we are. You can't. And so this morning I'm going to be sharing what God has put on my heart from the first chapter of Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. And I'm excited to go first, I guess as excited as you can be doing something like this, uh, because I have this privilege and this opportunity to drill down on a foundational thing, on on our identity. So hear me now. To know who you are in Christ... And to live into the the fullness of a soul-changing identity, it's something that will impact your families, it will impact your neighborhoods, your communities, your workplaces, and ultimately the world around us. And all of it, every single bit of it, is for the glory of Almighty God. Amen? And so this morning, we're going to be jumping right into the deep end of the true identity pool. The waters are fine. They're really nice. And it's specifically chapter 1 of the, of the book of Ephesians where I'll be highlighting two central ideas, two crucial identity markers. Here they are. One, discovering our identity within the larger context of God's story. Discovering our identity within the larger context of God's story. And two, how God's story gives meaning and purpose to our individual lives. Or said another way, much more simplified, two questions. Who am I? And why am I here? Who am I? And why am I here? And one of the things 
that gets me so charged up about this is how practical this content is. Ephesians is not about abstract ideas and theories developed by Paul. Rather, these are core realities that involve mission and vision and directly impact the way that we live and interact with the world. You see, Paul didn't write the church to Ephesus as a, in an ivory tower as a philosopher, as a theologian. Paul wrote the letter to the church in Ephesus from where? From a prison cell in Rome. And why is that important? Because somehow those circumstances, they didn't discourage or defeat him. He didn't give up when the, when the going got tough. And, and referencing our two central ideas for today, I believe this is because Paul knew his identity in the larger context of God's story. Who am I? And it gave meaning and purpose to his life. Why am I here? Turn with me now to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1 if you have your Bibles. Most of you probably have it memorized, right? Or on your iPhone, yeah, in your iPhone Bible. So right after Paul, he greets the church in in verses 1 and 2. And then he writes in verse 3, he says these words. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Now just wait a minute. Paul is in prison. And he's talking about blessing. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. And this statement is the foundation of our first big family of Jesus identity idea. Knowing our place in the larger story of who God is. Who am I? Who are you? What did Paul know about his identity? Listen to verse 4. He says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight, in love. Verse 5, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will. So basically what Paul is saying right out of the gates is that we were on God's mind at the very beginning of all things, at the creation of the universe. It was then that he began to write our stories into his story because he willed it and it brought him joy to imagine it. That's incredible. So yes, Paul is in prison. But Acts 19 tells us that he had spent two years, powerful years of ministry in Ephesus, leading and building this multi-ethnic church, Jews and Gentiles alike, shepherding them into a united family of God. People who had discovered and, and knew what their, their true identity was. And in fact, in real time, they were living it out. And we hear Paul using very specific language to describe this identity in God's larger story. It's the, it's the language of adoption. And this is significant because not only did God choose us, choose you, but he wanted you to be a, a member of his family in a very full and in a very complete way. Galatians 4, 4-7 reinforces this point well. It says, But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons and daughters, God sent the spirit of his son into your hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a child of God. My oldest brother, Michael, and his wife, Kristen, they have two sons. And they, um, they spent a season of their life where they were foster parents. And they had, over the years, they had two uh, foster children. A little boy named uh, Nathan and a, and a little girl named Ariana. 
And unlike their, their two sons, their boys, these, these foster kids, they didn't belong to them. Any day, the Department of, of Social Services in Monroe County, where, where I'm from, they could have called up and they could have said, you know, we're, we decided to take Nathan and, and Ariana out of your house. We're going we're gonna to bring them back out. We're going to put them in another foster home or, or return them back to their biological parents. They could do that. Why? Because they were foster kids. They weren't the actual kids. But all of that would have changed in a moment if my brother and his wife had the opportunity to adopt either Nathan or Ariana. In this scenario, they would have had the very same rights as the birth parents and their adopted children. Then they couldn't be taken away. And I share that because it's it's really important for each of us to know that God has adopted us into his family. And once we're in his family, initiated in the moment of our baptism, nobody can take us away. Amen? Nobody. We're not foster kids. We belong and it's permanent. And what's the result of that? Galatians 4, 6 tells us that now we can call God our father, our daddy, Abba. Man, come on. So we can have this experiential relationship and a new irrevocable identity because we're adopted. And not only that, because you are God's child, we know that we have an inheritance. Everything that he has belongs to us. And it's a present inheritance and it's a future inheritance. That's an incredible promise. And I'm telling you, it's an identity crisis if we ignore it or we don't accept it or if we minimize it in any way. Now, here's the rub. Here's the rub. There are a million plus more than a million other forces trying to shape our identity. Trying to tell you and they're trying to tell me who we are. Imprinting is not reserved for feral children being raised by monkeys or wolves. Social psychology, it informs us that we are constantly being pressed and shaped by media, by culture, by politics, by, by peer groups. The American dream, bigger, better, faster, more. It imprints upon us all the time. I believe it's the American lie, not the American dream. Because families are drowning in debt because they believe they have to have bigger homes. People are giving their, young people are giving away their bodies because they think sex equals love. Addiction to video games, Facebook, Instagram, food, pornography, drugs, alcohol. They're not just killing the secular world. They're killing the church. That's not your identity. And when we allow imprinting from some other thing, and we live our lives thinking we're turkeys with barely enough to get by, when the truth is that everything that Almighty God has, has is, is ours. He chose us. He chose you. You are an adopted daughter. You are an adopted son of Almighty God. And he gives us spiritual blessings as a result of that. Verse 7 tells us what they are. Verse 7. God offered us his grace. God offers us his grace. He redeems us. He forgives you. He makes known to us the kingdom plan, his plan. And he seals us with the Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity. And he gives us purpose in our life. Grasping our identity in the larger story of God, it is to know that he intended for us to be his sons and his daughters from the beginning. All of us. All of you. And when Paul says that God chose us to be holy and blameless in in verse 4, those words are very important. They're not 
they're not by mistake. They're not by accident. They're, they're words that reflect Old Testament themes and language of a people being called and a people being set apart. The larger story of God and the people of Israel that, that we've come into as adopted children of God through Jesus Christ. Set apart for relationship and mission from God that flows out of our new identity. Paul is telling the church in Ephesus who they are. And he knows that people scratch this itch, right? It's the, it's the same reason that people are crazy about these DNA tests. I mean, some people are crazy about them, right? My, Ancestry.com, MyHeritage, DNA. People are, are compelled. Why? Because they want to know who they are by their identity. We want answers to the question, who am I? I got DNA testing done for the same reason. I wanted to know more about who I was. But here's the thing. If you've been baptized, if you profess to believe in Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, if you are taking the Holy Eucharist, the very presence of Jesus is, is not, and not only is your soul adopted, but the power of Almighty God is coursing through your veins. Man, that's good stuff. You have an inheritance, and it's a divine energy within you as a son or a daughter of Almighty God. I feel like saying, can I get a witness? Can I get a witness? So this made me think about the, the Marvel comic uh, and, and, the, and the superhero, Spider-Man. Okay, so in this, if you've read the comic or you've seen the movie, then, then you recall this one scene where they're sitting in a car and, and Peter Parker is talking to his Uncle Ben. And, and, and this, uh, his Uncle Ben says to him these words as Peter's in this place of just kind of wondering what's happening and discovering who he is. He says these words, he says, With great power comes great with great power comes great responsibility. Yes, we know we must know who we are. We're children of God. Absolutely true. 100%. We must receive this and believe this and walk out this true identity. However, it's only the launching pad for rising up and impacting the world. It's just a launching pad. Being a part of the family of God, it brings with it a privileged responsibility. You have received spiritual blessings. You've received a godly inheritance, not by accident, but on purpose. And it isn't just about you. We're challenged by that in the West. We think everything's about us. It's about something far larger, far greater. As Christians, we can answer the question, who am I? But the next question we have to answer and be compelled by is, why are we here? Rick Warren probably shocked a few people a few years back when he drilled down on this question in the opening line of his book, Purpose Driven Life. He says, it's not about you. The purpose of your life is far greater than your own personal fulfillment, your peace of mind, or even your happiness. Think here of Paul sitting in a prison cell in Rome. He continues, it's far greater than your family, your career, or even your wildest dreams and ambitions. If you want to know why you're placed on this planet, you must begin with God. You were born by His purpose, and you have a purpose. In other words, Warren transitions us from the question, who am I, to the question, why am I here? And this brings us to the second big idea related to our true identity in the family of God and the family of Jesus. That is that God's story gives meaning and purpose to your life. And it doesn't matter what stage you are in. You could be single. You could be married. You could be in elementary school. You could be in high school. You could be in, in college. You could be a young parent. You could be an empty nester. You could be a widow. It doesn't matter the circumstance, college, dream job, lousy job. 
Life stage, circumstances are not the most important thing with regard to our purpose. That's a big idea. If they were, then we would never, ever be satisfied. We would always be restless. We'd always be looking forward or looking back, looking for the better or more fulfilling thing. This is the crisis of our culture. And, unfortunately, influenced by the world, this is a crisis in a church when it should be the other way around. We should be influencing the world. Why are we here? Verse 11 reads, In Him we were also chosen. Ephesians 1, verse 11, In Him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of Him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of His will. Did you hear that? God has a plan for you. You have an identity within that plan. And Paul repeats the the core identity issue in Ephesians 2.10, next chapter, when he says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Rise up, church. Rise up, church. Have you forgotten this? You have a mission. You have a role. You have a purpose. God attended for you. What is it? What is it? Is it about getting into college? Is it about getting engaged to the right person? Is it about having the right number of kids, a specific vocation? What if you make a mistake along the way? How often do you live in unrest because you have put more purpose in the thing and less purpose in God and in God. How often do you live in unrest because you put more purpose in the thing and not in God? Our purpose, perhaps the most, one of the most important things, is to reveal Christ to the world no matter what is happening in our lives. And that is big. That's a big concept. In 1967, Joni Erickson Tata, then 17, she had a horrible accident. And she became a, 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 a quadriplegic. And she was from 17 years old until present day. She's been in a wheelchair. And she, since then, she's written hundreds of books. And she's influenced tens of thousands of people, encouraged them like crazy. But she gets it. She gets it. She's disabled in body, but not in soul. Not in spirit bringing glory to God and revealing Christ to the world, she said this. She said, I would really rather be in this wheelchair knowing Jesus as I do than to be on my feet without him. Whew. How is that possible, church? How is that possible? Jump down to verse 12 of chapter 1. It answers the question. Why are we here? Paul says all of this is for the praise. Think of Joni and her circumstance. All of this is for the praise and glory of his glory. The praise of his glory. Said another way, in other words, living in such a way that God is praised and glorified in all things. No matter if you were born in Africa in poverty and destined to be a farmer, or if you were born in the United States of America and you have a million opportunities ahead of you. No matter if you were single or married again, if you were in a job you love or a job you hate, no matter if you were 12 years old or you're 82. Purpose transcends circumstance and stage of life. Because why you are here is ultimately to point the world to Jesus Christ. 
That is what Jesus was getting at when he used metaphors like salt and light when he talked in the, in the Gospels and about the kingdom of God. We have the privilege of bringing God's flavor and God's savor uh, to those, all the places that it's needed. We have the privilege of bringing the light of Jesus Christ that, that is within us everywhere and illuminating and bringing hope. I found the perfect setup for this in a reflection from Harvard theologian Mark Roberts. He describes it within the story of Frodo in the epic Lord of the Rings trilogy by J.R.R. Tolkien. Who wants a name like J.R.R. Tolkien? Come on. I'm tempted. Yeah, right on. I'm tempted. Just add another middle name so that I could be something. I don't know. I don't want to get distracted because I'll never get back. I love these guys. G.K. Chesterton, J.R.R. Tolkien. Okay. But he says it like this. He says, as the story begins, Frodo is apparently an insignificant hobbit. Living his own unremarkable story, yes, he happens to own an unusual ring given to him by his uncle Bilbo, but initially Frodo has no idea how this ring will draw him into a much larger story, a story of epic battle between good and evil. And through, through the revelation of the wise guide Gandalf, the, the wizard, Frodo begins to understand that his part in the grand story will change his life forever and perhaps even all the life in Middle-earth. As Frodo starts to live into the bigger story, what he does matters immensely. His choices and efforts turn the tide of good against evil. So although the story is not ultimately Frodo's story, his participation is crucial. Church, your participation in the larger story of God is crucial. It's crucial. The task of vanquishing sin and death and the powers of darkness are Christ's alone. Yet as men and women of all ages set apart from the beginning of all time for God's purposes, we each have a part to play. But we must know who we are and we must know why we are here. Children of God intended to reveal His glory to the world. Five months ago, I ruptured my Achilles tendon, my second Achilles tendon. Terrible. My Achilles is my Achilles. But it's the different one, the other one. So 10 years ago, it was my left leg, and this, this time it was my, my right leg. And I, I was doing the American Ninja Warrior, the warped wall. Anybody know what that is? It's the final stage. If you don't know what that is, imagine a concave wall, kind of shaped like a C. And at the very top, there's this platform. So the idea is you've got to run with all your speed, with all your might, and you've got to race up it and grab the top because you've got to be moving fast, and then you pull yourself up. Well, that's the idea anyway. I had done it a few weeks earlier with my, with my kids, so I knew I could do it. And so there I was. This is February 2nd of this year. I remember the date. Yes, I do. And uh, so we were, we were there, my daughter Eliana's uh, t- uh, 12th birthday party. And I had this, you know, all the kids are there. There's a, there's a modified version, an eight-foot wall. And, you know, as a dad trying to be a good dad, I'm, I'm like, I just want to show them that this isn't such a big deal. Just run up this warp wall, grab it, and boom, you're up. You feel great. You're an American Ninja Warrior. It's awesome. Well, I approached the ramp, and on my very first try, I, as I planted my foot, my Achilles tendon snapped. And when my Achilles tendon snapped, I buckled, and my calf muscle rolled up in my leg, and, and it required surgery to pull the calf muscle down and the, pull the Achilles tendon back up, and they bind it all together. It's really cool. I got pictures if you want to see it later. Just find me. So I had to attach these two ends of my tendons so that I could walk again. And I'm 
barely hobbling. I'm getting there. So the recovery, it involved uh, multiple stages of, of, of healing. And the very first two months, two months uh, was non-weight bearing and immobilization. And then two more months after that of this progressive uh, weight, progressing weight on it and intense physical therapy, initially I couldn't stand. I couldn't stand. My right foot. So I couldn't drive. I, I, I lost all of my independence. I needed help to do absolutely everything. And this was a big deal because not only am I the rector at our church, but I'm also a partner in a real estate corporation in Rochester. And I have a cleaning job that I do. And I still practice as a school psychologist one and a half days a week. So in other words, like many of you, you guys know busy. You've got, I've got lots of plates that are spinning. But what I encountered was when I was knocked off of my feet, I encountered, I experienced an identity crisis. I discovered that I could spin a, a hundred plates with the best of them. I'm a doer. I'm a doer. Lots of pastors are doers. Lots of wives of pastors are doers. And subsequently, lots of children become doers. But as good of a doer as I am, I'm pretty pathetic at just sitting still and being and remembering who I really am and remembering why it is that I'm here. And if that's true for me, then perhaps it's true for some of you that that you find too much of your identity in what you do. But what if it were all taken away? Joni Erickson Tata, age 17. Father Eric Okren, February 2nd, 2018. What if it was all taken away? What then? What's left? Who are you, really? Who was I, really? Why am I here? I went from 100 miles an hour to zero And so I sat there week after week and I became more and more depressed. And the Holy Spirit finally revealed to me in the midst of this, Eric, your interior life is is vapid and shallow. And I'm not proud to say that, but it's true. He showed me that I was drawing from my own strength and I was drawing from his power and not his. And the most humbling and sad thing was how, how, how my successes in things like pastoring or real estate or, or school psychology, those things were shaping my identity. Yes, I'm still a son of God, but I was more excited to, 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 to share those other parts of my identity than about my Abba. Success in all these things was more about my glory and my pride than his glory. How about you? Is it possible that you are finding your identity in the thing, identity in the things that you do over and above of who you are as a child of Almighty God. It took a ruptured Achilles tendon to get me to see this, and God will go to great lengths, I assure you, to get our attention. Yes, He will. But I'm grateful because I needed to have that reorientation. I needed to confess my sin. And I needed to confess my, my pride. Church, is it possible? Is it possible that for us to rise up first, we need to drop down to our knees? That we need to repent for the ungodly things that have been imprinting our lives, whether it's pride or whether it's fear, whether it's distraction. You fill in the blank in your story. 
Is it possible that before we can rise up, we have to drop to our knees and repent to Almighty God? All of us wrestle with something. And finding our true identity and purpose, I mean, all of creation cries out. But God does not, this is, this is the insurance, God does not love us any more or any less for all the things that you do, for the things that I do. We impose that lie on ourselves. And the old fool devil, he has a heyday with it. Damn him straight to hell. And God loves you. And he loves you not for what you do, but he loves you because you are his, all, his child. The almighty heavenly father who you can cry out, Abba, Daddy, Father. Our successes and our, our failures, the things that we do, we're going to have years of plenty and we're going to have years of lesser. We're going to feel like we're super successful and there's going to be times when things wane, waxing and waning. If you're in high school and eventually you're, you're going to go off to a job and you're going to be in college. If, we, if we're parents and eventually our children are going to move out, we're going to be empty nesters. If, if we're getting older, then eventually we're going to need to retire. Our churches will probably again have years of plenty and years where things are lean. But through it all, through it all, we are His and our purpose is ultimately to reveal His glory to the world. The great promise is that as a part of our inheritance, we're not left to do this on our own. We have help, praise God. It's too high a bar if we were to try to do it by ourselves. Jesus promised over and over and over again in the Gospels that he's going to give us help through who? Through the Holy Spirit, our guide, our advocate, our counselor. And so in verse 13 he says this, chapter 1 of Ephesians, verse 13, When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal. The promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. Guaranteeing our inheritance. Amen. It's a done deal, folks. Paul later mentions in verse 19, an incomparably great power for those of us who believe. Incomparably great power. Well, what is this? Is it like the effects of pounding, you know, 10 five-hour energy drinks? I, I think you bonk if you do that. Is this incomparably great power? Is it, is it more like a, the towing capacity of a monster truck? Is this incomparably great power? Is it like a, a, a nuclear explosion or a volcano or an earthquake or a tsunami or, a, or thunderstorms that divert your plane to Arizona? Those are the examples that I think of when I imagine and I think of this incomparably great power for, those who, of, for us who believe. But if we think of any of those things... I say to you, we will be wrong. Because the power of God's love is the most powerful thing precisely because His power is made perfect in weakness. God chose to reveal His incomparably great power by entering this world as a, a helpless babe who slept his first night in a cave with animals wrapped in rags and sleeping on a trough. The way God chose to reveal His power was by becoming a servant and washing dirty feet. The way he chose to reveal his power was by spending time with prostitutes and thieves and great sinners. And ultimately, he chose to reveal his power by holding his hands and his feet motionless as they were being nailed to the hardwood of the cross. And it was incomparably great power, the incomparably great power of love that fixed him to the cross while he suffocated and died for you and for me. 
But the ultimate display of power didn't stop there. That's incomparably great power in and of itself, the love of Almighty God. But Paul says it like this. It goes even further, further up and further in. In verse 19, chapter 1 of Ephesians, he says, That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but in the age to come. Church, at the very center of our identity in the family of God is the matchless power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen? And if you want to rise up, if you want to be a part of an army of God, one family at a time, then realize who you are and never stop proclaiming the resurrection and the glory of God in all things because that is why you are here. Church, the power of the gospel that St. Paul preached and prayed was not about title. It was not about accomplishments. It wasn't about freedom from difficulty or life circumstance or even a mighty manifestation. It was about freedom from false identity, from sin, and from shame. I like how Charles Wesley says it in his hymn. He says he breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood availeth. For me. Whoo, glory. And the last thing I'll say is this in closing. The centrality of our identity within the family of God proclaims what God has already done in the world through Jesus Christ, his son, and what he continues to do through his church for the redemption of all things. So let's rise up with confidence in our inheritance as children, sons and daughters of almighty God. This is who we are. That's who you are. And why are we here? Not to be slaves to fear or circumstance or stage of life, but to be salt and light that reveal the glory of Almighty God to a world that must have and absolutely needs Jesus Christ. Rise up, church. Rise up. I'm excited about this week. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you so much. How about another big hand, Father Eric? So I forgot a couple of announcements before. I got yelled at. Tomorrow night is the, uh, the event up at the Sky Lounge, the fellowship night. Um, it's going to be an amazing event, amazing night of fellowship. It starts right after the Eucharist tomorrow night. It starts at 8.30. From 8.30 to 10.30, you can leave your kids here. We're going to have a movie night. The kids can stay. All the adults can go upstairs, get to know each other, spend time with together, eat, drink. And then um, at 10.30, the children will come upstairs. So then the kids can stay and hang out as a family also, if you want. Um, we're almost out of tickets. There's, there's a, a limit to how many tickets we can sell. So during this half-hour break, if you haven't gotten your tickets, go to the booth and get your tickets. Uh, they're $25 a piece. It includes your first drink and includes um, heavy hors d'oeuvres, a carving station, and so forth. And a view to kill, yes. Um, the other thing is, um, oh, the food. So every day there's going to be a buffet set up for lunch, breakfast, and dinner. Uh, lunches, um, just like box lunches, sandwiches, and things like that. Um, but the morning and um, evening will be all you can eat. 
So make sure it's only for our convention space. Um, no other one's going to be using that. So make sure you, you utilize that for your meals. Um, also, if you have not registered, we have about 50 people that have not gone and registered yet. If you haven't picked up your, your name badges, please go and do that so we can have an accurate count and, um, and make sure we get tickets for the Sky Lounge. Other than that, we have a half-hour break. The next session will start at 11 o'clock, and that will be with uh, Father Eddie Harris. So go take a break. Thank you.